Youthscape podcast, a podcast for Christians who work with young people. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Youthscape podcast. My name is Rachel Gardner and I'm sat here with my friend Martin Saunders and what you can't see, lovely listener, is we have now graduated to a space where producer Charles puts three fingers, have you noticed this Martin? Yeah. And we cannot speak until that has gone down to... It's th- like being on TV. It's like being on TV but he never said anything about it, it's just we've all just yeah, seamlessly... Understood this because, as discussed, we've got you know, we've got kind of ambitions, haven't we? <laughs> we do have ambitions of being on the Christian media, the Christian Richard and Judy. So, this is just helping us in our case, a Fern and Phil. Yes, yeah, kind Fern of like, and Phil, that's very old, isn't it? <laughs> Holly and sort, Phil. Sort ourselves out and brush ourselves off and work ourselves out. So, I feel that's that's really exciting. Now, Martin. It was April Fool's Day a couple of days ago. <laughs> do, do you you have an evil laugh? I did say James. That's great laugh. That was... do, you, do you partake in things like that? Oh, I've got burnt doing that. You've got burnt doing that? <sighs> yeah, well, the thing is now is you do get the killjoys who are like, oh, I really don't like it when people do April Fool's because it really is really damaging because it's misleading and I, I, I believe <laughs> oh, things gosh. and then I feel very sad about it. Uh you do get that, don't you? Like on social media, I yeah. think it's really actually harmful. It's quite um, hard. <laughs> and I don't think we should do I mean, April Fools. if there's ever anything that is absolutely perfectly poised to, to kind of make April Fools really work well, it is social media, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. The, the, the opportunities that we all have to kind of, you know, say that your pet's become a Christian or you're, like, you're moving to work, it just is perfect. Yeah, but I think that's really problematic, Rachel, actually, what you just suggested there, because my pet actually died on April Fool's Day. It's oh. really difficult, because I told everyone, and oh. it was very harmful to me. I, I, I relive bad. it every year. I do feel bad now. This could come with a trigger warning. So you've been burnt. <laughs> is there, like, a genuine thing where you have, like, said something oh, and dear. you got into trouble? So, uh... Oh, there is. There was, go, people. There was there one. <laughs> so April Fool's Day, I mean, this is... There's a weird irony to this, um, but about... Um, Oh, it must be 12, 13 years ago, Ooh. I was editor of a magazine called Youthwork that used mm-hmm. to exist. Um, and uh, just for fun, in the early days of Facebook, on April Fool's Day, I'd set it up the day before, as, as all great April Fool's geniuses do. I said, uh, got a big announcement coming tomorrow. Ooh. And no one, no one went, oh. That's, that's interesting because it's April Fool's Day tomorrow. They went, oh, oh, looking forward to that. Yes. And so in the morning I posted that, um, you know, I was I was actually, great news, I was taking over the leadership of Soul Survivor. No! You- yeah. <laughs> and that Mike was going to step down and that he was now going to be leading a, a, um, a new ministry for work with older people. Uh, and uh, so I thought this was hilarious. Anyway. Turns out nobody checked the date. No. So I got a string of messages underneath, quite awkward ones, saying, couldn't think of a better man for the job. You know, oh, I think this is excellent. Oh, Great no. timing. Oh, you know, no. a little Great timing. Yeah, yeah. A, little, long last. a little bit of like, you know, oh, great no. that Mike's decided this oh, is the moment. No. You know, all oh, of that. I hope Mike found it funny. Well, so then I get a call from, this is like Christian royalty here, Jeff Lucas. <gasps> Jeff oh. Lucas, the the famous Spring Harvest, yes. famous. Who was in the UK at this? At he this was. Time. He used to live in the UK. He was kind of head of the Spring Harvest yeah. theme and planning group. And he rang me and he said, "I'm at a gathering of evangelicals. Um, we've just seen your Facebook post. Oh. We're really concerned by it. Mike's here. He's very upset. <gasps> um, oh, you, you, you've really blown this." Oh. And uh, he said, like, we've got the whole, like, the whole EA council is here. Oh, We're all talking no. about what you've done. And I, like, the blood was draining from my face. And then Jeff said, April ah! Fool! <laughs> we are all together, but we all thought it was really funny. Oh, that's, I, you know, so, I think I love all those guys now more. That's brilliant. I, I think Charles next to me is sweating. He's sweating. At, that, He's sweating. at the anxiety of that story. Um, oh, I love that. Yes, good it was all. Them. So it was a very good funny moment, them. and they put Mike on the phone, and it was all very yeah. good natured. But I did think never again. You after just, that. 
It's it's the fine line because the best April Fools do do tread perilously yeah, close they do. to the line. Otherwise, they're not funny. I have to say, I uh, I mean, this is not the first time you've done things like this. You are known for sneakily sneaking in things that aren't quite true. So what? isn't it you? Which means that, I lie. It, well, no, YouthWork Summit. Didn't we have some seminars that didn't actually oh, exist? Gosh, but they, yeah. it backfired because actually they were quite popular in terms of people oh. rocking up. Wasn't that one about? It was about pets. So that that, that ministry. <sighs> There yeah. is that. These things so dog the, you. Yeah, oh. yeah. I <laughs> always think this will be really funny. Yeah. Basically, this is the trend. I think something will be funny. Yeah. You don't check with anybody else. People actually say, actually, that was deeply problematic. <laughs> uh, and don't think it's very funny. <laughs> and so I so I thought it'd be hysterical. Chris Curtis was with me on this. Apparently. As we planned the programme for the Youth Work Summit, which was the forerunners of National Youth Ministry Weekend, we we inserted some joke talks but you into had the program. In the printed program. Into the printed program. <laughs> but with comic so you had all the faces of the normal speakers and then stock photos of ridiculous looking people. <laughs> and it was clearly a joke, oh, right? It obviously wasn't. And so oh. and so we had, you know, one so in, in one year famously we had praying with pets. Praying with Pets, a new approach to youth ministry with animals, with Dr. Alice Barking, right? Clearly a joke. So, so I, and I, I hope she's not listening to this. A wonderful lady came up to me in the foyer of the, um, of the, of the event place that we were doing it. And she said, I, I don't understand. Where's, the, where's Dr. Alice Barking? And I said, I said, what? Well, it's, a jo- it's a joke. And she said... I do youth work with young people Ooh. and horses. Oh, I, I see. only came to this event <gasps> because, it was because Dr. Barking was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but the thing is, we did like we did, this, we, oh, no. we did this several times. You, uh, you did do it. I do remember you doing this several times. And we times. always thought, surely. No. So we did in 2013, we did like the Olympics, a coming opportunity for mission, right? The Olympics in 2012. Right, London 2012, <laughs> a coming opportunity for mission, right? Clearly that was a joke. It was a year, uh, it was a year after. <laughs> no, people were upset. They thought there was going to be sports ministry. <laughs> Nobody thought it was funny. <laughs> one year, we got a guy from one of the drama companies that was In Your Faith. He, um, he, he came and did this sort of seven-minute presentation on the discipleship Tamagotchi, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a young person, a teenager, in your, on a little device in your pocket, and it's an app that we'd created, and you know you basically had to feed him the Bible every day, and this otherwise, is a joke. otherwise he died, right? <laughs> Clearly, it was a joke. And then I stood at the back of the hall, and I realised no one was listening. They all had their phones out, scrolling <gasps> through the app store, trying to find trying it. To find they it. wanted to buy it. No, Nobody got that it was a no. joke. So what, what have I learned from this? Yeah, what, well, I don't think you learned anything from this. Oh, well, I've stopped. I've stopped doing it. Oh, it's such a shame. Stop making jokes. Do you, do you think there's a new era because of social media and banter and just, do you think people would take it differently now? Because programs are not printed. Like, yeah. you think about how the medium is. I think when you go to a conference, you don't know anybody, it's a printed program. There are some kind of gatekeepers of the seriousness. Whereas when everything is a little bit more fluid and I don't know, you could probably get away with it a bit more now. No, I think you get away with less now. Oh, I don't want to be all GB right. News about it. But, you, you know, won't. we are super sensitive now to something offend- offending someone. And we're very nervous, not at their own offence. And if we're not in on the joke as exactly. well, isn't it? Everyone that's, has that fear yeah, of... Yeah, but there might be yeah. someone who isn't in on the joke and someone who's being punched down to. So I do, I sympathise with it, but yeah. also I'm afraid. I think it's harder and harder <laughs> to make jokes now. So just anything that Martin runs, you'll, yeah, we should, we should all be looking for a little thing. I don't, not anymore. No, no you should. You should. Really do you important. think I should put a joke seminar in it? I think you should. I think you should. Oh, the young people would oh, love, love it. it. Yeah, yeah they would love it. absolutely love it. I am... Um, I have never pulled off a good prank ever. I just cannot do it. But young people do it to me quite regularly, and I and it's always again on the on the nose. I'm sure I've told this one on on the podcast. It doesn't cast me in a good light. So can I just say I am a responsible adult, and if young people arrive at events carrying things and with illegal stuff, I do act on it. But there was one particular time where they did empty a tea bag into cling film. And um, they said, look, we've just found this. And we'd spent like... 
hours getting to this event. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was an absolute nightmare. And I was, and they just presented this to me. And my first question was, where did you find it? Who else knows about this? What are we gonna do? And I, I start praying and I, and I do everything except what I should have done. Like, right, thank you. Let's now, yeah, this is the amnesty yeah, and yeah. who's going home. And they caught it all on camera. I mean, oh, they're no. little monkeys, oh, little no. monkeys. Cause they just, it was the older youth. It was like 18, 19 year olds. Like we found this. And I, I mean, that taught me a massive lesson about you've got to have your policies and you've got to follow it through. But every, I was in that moment, I was devastated oh. that they'd found something that meant I'd have to take these kids all the way back nine hour journey oh. like all the all the sense so but it was a joke they thought it was the most hilarious it's thing you've got a big heart oh, you're only they, gullible I mean, because you've got oh, a big heart flipping it it's always gullible yeah so yeah but anyway well, look, that. let's segue from there to <laughs> a very good interview. A very a good interview. interview, not on this theme at all. So um, so Linda Jeevanathan might be known to you if you came to National Youth Ministry Weekend 2019 because she gave an absolutely grandstanding, amazing talk there on the subject that we're going to be talking about today, which is unity. So we thought we would get her back to talk to her, uh, talk to her a bit about how you work well together with other churches, other leaders in your area um, who maybe have a different theology, different perspective than you, uh, how you can do that well. So here is what happened. Youth workers often tell us they're starved, really meaty stuff where you get to think not just about what you're going to do next week in your youth group, but when you have a chance to explore the why. What are the big challenges in culture and how do we in the church respond? If we don't think about that stuff, we're in danger of just repeating the same old material but with less impact as young people's world changes. And that's why five years ago, Youthscape teamed up with St. Melitus College to launch the Youthscape St. Melitus Annual Lecture. It's a free evening event where you'll get the deepest and latest thinking about young people and youth work. On the evening of May the 15th this year, we're holding the 2023 lecture. And guess what? You're invited to come in person to St. Melitus College in London or to listen online all for free. Chloe Combi is one of the UK's most admired broadcasters after her award-winning podcast released during lockdown, You Don't Know Me, in which she interviews young people about the issues that matter most to them. Their startlingly honest words about everything, from gender to education, challenged our assumptions about teenagers and what they really believe. In this year's lecture on May the 15th, Chloe will be sharing her latest findings alongside Chris Russell. We'll be exploring their implications for Christian youth ministry. It's your chance to get some really deep insights that take you beyond what game to run next week and help you to step back and see the bigger trends emerging. So there are two ways you can attend and both need you to register in advance on the Youthscape website. If you come in person to St. Melitus College, you'll get a glass of wine, a goodie bag and a free download of the lecture audio and video to be able to listen again afterwards. If you can't get to London, you can listen online, but you'll also need to register in advance at youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. That's youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. Tickets are available now to take your chance to get some really meaty thinking about young people and youth work. Unless you're a vegetarian. In which case you'll get some meat-free corn thinking. Does that work? I'm not really sure. Anyway, see you guys on the 15th. Linda Nathan. Welcome to the Youthscape podcast. Thank you for having me, Martin. It's lovely to have you here. Um, you are the youth worker at Hope Church in Luton. So you're a, you've actually walked in to the uh, the glories of Butte Mills today to do this interview. I absolutely have. Tell us about the role in the church and how long you've been there. I have been a part of Hope Church for 20 years now. Wow. So since it started... Um, I, my official role is assistant pastor or title assistant pastor. And one of my roles is leading the youth work. Yeah, no, I, I always call you the youth worker. I think that's a I, higher calling than assistant <laughs> yes. pastor. I think it is a very high calling. And so you, you lead the youth work there and, um, and we're going to get on to a little bit. We're going to talk about unity today. Um, people might have heard you at the national youth ministry weekend, uh, in 2019 talking about this topic and your kind of context is new frontiers, new frontiers movement. Yes. Um, but you've got an interesting story sort of before that in terms of your engagement with church as a young person as well. So uh, not raised in a Christian family, is that right? Not really. So nominal Christian, okay. but uh, Sri Lankan background, very strong Hindu uh, community and influence. So I would say we went 
uh, regularly to temples, to Hindu ceremonies, because most of our community were from a Hindu faith. My dad didn't really practice. I think my mum had a faith in all sorts of things. So as much Ganesha as Jesus, as anybody who was going yeah, at yeah. the time. So um, you've been, you just said you've been in Luton for the last 20 years and you were born in Luton. I was born in Luton. In between, you got a lot of stamps in the passport, right? So what, where, did you, where were you between times? So uh, started in Luton, then my family moved to Singapore, then we moved to Australia and we lived in Sydney, then we lived in Melbourne, which was where my family actually got to know Jesus and, and became Christians came to faith. Then we moved to Darwin, Australia. Then we moved to Nigeria. And then I actually uh, came to the UK. My parents stayed abroad with my family, yeah. came to the UK to go to a school in Bedford. I thought you were going to do an accent for each place you'd gone to, <laughs> but it's just Australia. When you say Australia, you suddenly, it's like, it's like I'm watching Neighbours. I know. I get to, that's probably one of the few words, Australia, yogurt, Garage. Those are the three. I can't seem to change the way I say it. It's okay. It's okay. So when so you were there as a teenager, were you? So what was that? What was that like then? Being in the church, coming to faith as a teenager. It was interesting. I think it Melbourne, Australia, where we got saved, was a very diverse cosmopolitan yes. area. So we got saved. We fitted right into the church. People were from all over the world, and there were people living around us from all over the world. Unfortunately, we were only in Melbourne for six months. Okay. We then moved as young Christians. My whole family were very young Christians to Darwin, Australia. Yeah. And that was a lot trickier. I think I felt like a, a square peg trying to fit in a round What's hole. What's Darwin like? So, so Darwin, I think, has has a very, very few. It wasn't cosmopolitan. Okay. It was predominantly white Australian as the majority culture. You have a, a very small Aboriginal group that would be up in Darwin. The rest yep. were more kind of in the Northern Territory, we're not in Darwin. And you had even fewer, you had some Chinese Asians yeah. and a few kind of Indian Sri Lankan Asians, but we were very, very few in terms of a very small population. You were a very small minority. So what was your then your experience of church in Darwin? Uh, it was, I didn't want to go. <laughs> Right. I knew I loved Jesus, but I found, I just felt we didn't fit in. So my mum, you know, when, when they say bring a cake and we'll have cakes and biscuits at the yeah. end of a service, my mum insisted on spending her Saturday making samosas. And it was almost like people were like, what are these triangular things? What, <laughs> this is, this is too hot. This is, and I was like, mum, just pick up cakes from, yeah. or bake a cake or do whatever. But my mum was insistent that she wanted to share her culture as a as a new Christian with all her new church yeah, yeah. church um friends. And so that wasn't well received by kind of people in Darwin. It wasn't I I think Darwin Australia, I think the church then in Darwin Australia weren't ready for people who were different. They we could as long as we fitted in, as long as mum brought the cakes, I think we would have been we were fine. But it they you know, in two years, we had not one invite to come around for a meal. And we were from a culture where our community, every weekend, there would be parties and big kind of pots of food and, and pre you know, alcohol. It was all dancing and music. That's what we were used to. And suddenly going to somewhere where actually there were very few people we could connect with. And this was meant to be the church. I was like, I love Jesus but the church isn't for me. That That's where I got to. That, by the way, is a resonant feeling for a lot of people. Yeah, you absolutely. You know, that actually they love Jesus, but they just can't get on board with the church. So that's not an alien experience. No, no. But you kept going in the faith. Kept going in the faith, yes. And then, so what led you to youth ministry? So I... Uh, moved to uh, Bedford to do my A-levels and I went to a, a school there and I just was part of the youth work and loved it. And and for the first time, I think in Bedford felt as I did when we first got saved in Melbourne, part of a community. Yeah. And so when I left the youth work at 18, I took a year out and started 
serving on the youth team because I just it just did something in terms of connection and belonging that I knew I wanted to be part of and then from then just have always volunteered even when I was at university um, then when I first moved here and was a teacher that was part of my uh, part of what how I served the church by being part of a youth team. So what does the youth work look like now that you're doing it? So our youth work is quite small but very uh yeah, very di- a diverse youth work. So there's about 20 to 25 young people. I would say on a regular basis, though, we get eight to 10 mm-hmm. coming along. Um, they are, I, I would say about a third of them are going for God and, and love Jesus. I would say a third are forced to come. Um, maybe they come from families where it's not really a choice about coming to church on a yep. Sunday or going to uh, a drop-in or whatever. Um, and so we have a third like that. And then we've got a third who are kind of friends of friends who have just come along with friends who are connected, but not on a regular basis. And how's it changed since COVID for you? Has it Have you come back in much the same place or does it feel very different? Um, it, it's been harder since we've come back, I think, because a lot of them found it hard to engage online and it's been really hard to pull the the third that were friends of friends who would be quite regular have had started to kind of get used to having their Friday nights for themselves and Sunday mornings as sleeping. So it's been a lot harder to pull in um, uh, about a third of our youth work. They'll come occasionally, but not as regularly as they did before COVID. And just um, because, you know, I mean, we are, Luton here is a, a very multicultural, very multicultural. Very multicultural. I think it's one of the first super diverse towns in the UK. Um, but that's not to say it's free from racism, both, you know, outside and probably within the church as well. Um, so how has that been for you kind of coming here as a person of colour, you know, and being part of the, the church here, which is, I mean, the church you're involved in is multicultural, but predominantly white. Yes. Yeah. Multicultural, um, but predominantly white is our church. I, I actually, when I was teaching, I, I found this very revelatory. So when I was teaching, I hadn't realized this, but all my friends were white British professionals. Okay. And it wasn't till I started working for the church and got involved with a group called The Feast and just other things that I suddenly had this realization. I'd lived in Luton 14 years and I had no friends of of Muslim background or any other kind of, do you know what I mean? Yeah, outside yeah. of the church. And I was actually mortified to have this slow revelation that I'm in a town and what does building friendship and bringing light look like in this town. It's about building friendships. It's about reaching out. And I hadn't been doing that, not purposefully at all, but I think subconsciously to fit in, to assimilate with the culture of the church, I almost dropped my Asian culture, kind of didn't have any friends of other faiths. And I don't know if that was me just trying to fit in by totally going in a different direction but it's been maybe the last six seven years I've just built with people I teach one day a week built with people at school who are from different backgrounds built with people in the community that I know from different faiths and that's been really healing and um and a big journey for me because I hadn't even realized I had prejudice and which we know we all do but I hadn't realized my own racist prejudice thoughts towards particular groups that I didn't want to be linked with. You, you said that when you were in Darwin, you, you felt like you were on the push to the outside. Did you, did you have that experience here at all? I think I learned to assimilate and I do, because we moved around a lot, I adapt myself very much to a culture. And so I think if you hadn't met me, if you didn't meet me, you wouldn't know I was Asian British. You possibly wouldn't because there's, there was very little, I, I rarely cooked Asian food. Mm. I, I did everything I could to fit in as much as I could with the church. So it's only been maybe in the last six, seven years that I've even had an awareness that I had almost transformed myself to be like everyone else other than the color of my skin, if that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Because, because when our church started, I was one of two Um, people of ethnic minority in the 30 people that were there and so really fitting in was was the key thing for me personally and I'm sure my friends would not have expected it of me but it was very much um, 
what I did to try and fit in. So um, another kind of key thing for me, as well as just having this revelatory journey was, was in 2016, I, you know, I was a leader in my church. I was the youth leader, part of the leadership team. And I was watching things um, evolve outside of myself politically with Donald Trump coming into power. I, I don't want to, you know, but some of the things he was propagating were so anti-women and so anti-people of ethnic minority. I felt very confused. Nobody was speaking up. And, and I there was no uh, place where I felt the church was saying anything, not about him, but about what he was saying. Nobody was challenging it. And it was, it was hurting inside to the point where I thought, actually, I've given my life to serving the church. Is it really what it's not? It's not speaking up for me. It's not being a voice for people like me, um, because the majority of people, in fact, are not just speaking up. They're, they're supporting what he's saying. And, and I found as a youth leader with a diverse youth work, when I had young people asking me, Lynn, you say character matters in leadership character of someone matters. And yet he said to me, the statistic was 80 something percent of the white evangelical church in America voted in this um, person who is not a person of character. And he said to me, well, where is the balance in that? And I didn't know how to respond to my youth. And they were frustrated and they were hurting. I was hurting. And as the only non-white uh, leader on that team, I felt I wasn't sure how, how to share my frustration. And, and um, Martin, it was actually an article that you wrote that I read and I wept and I felt just that you were voicing what I was unable to voice. I felt like as a person of faith, people would hear me if I said that and say, she's got a chip on her shoulder just because of some of the things he says. Whereas I felt you as a person who had more power in that situation spoke for people like me. And I actually, it was like a healing balm of the spirit. And I, I still thank Tony that he gave it to me because I, I was tempted at that point to say, forget it. I'm not going to give my life on a flipping cheap salary. <laughs> no, get, cut that out. But do you know what I mean? I literally was like, I could be earning triple this at school. This is not what I'm giving my life to. Mm. Jesus, yes. The church, absolutely not. Yeah. I don't I, know if that fits, but it's yeah, it's the reality. Yeah. I mean, we should say, you know, Tony Thompson, who leads Hope Church in Luton, is he's a great guy. And also is someone who it probably isn't entirely typical of New Frontiers leaders. No. I can say that you didn't say anything at this point. But, you know, I don't, I'm not from within that movement. You know, my observation from outside is that sometimes there is a theology within some New Frontiers churches that women shouldn't be speaking and leading. Um, and certainly not leading, you know, there'd be a compliment, we call a complementarian position. That doesn't seem to be the case. You've not been held back by that, have you? Not at all. I think I... Um, I can say this, I've been under Tony's leadership for 20 years and it has been a blessing for me. It's been releasing. I've been in contexts where um, people have ignored me, but he 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 stands with me and he's, he releases me into my leadership gifting and, and my speaking gifting, which I don't like, but I will be released into. <laughs> you are a great speaker. <laughs> and so that neatly leads us into today's tough question. So yes, you spoke on this at the National Youth Ministry Weekend 2019. Um, and we're through this season, we are looking at difficult questions in youth ministry. And I want us to grasp the thorny issue of unity now. When I was growing up, I remember uh, I went to a fairly middle of the road Baptist church, but I remember being told there's certain churches that aren't really on the in. They're not really inside. They don't really believe the same things as us, especially Catholics. They're just not Christians. And there'll be other churches. We don't really mix with those guys. And I imagine that anybody listening to this knows that there's at least one church in their community that they sort of have counted out and off limits. So I guess the question is, how do you build genuine unity between uh, youth ministries, youth pastors and churches when you do believe different things, when there are different, you know, quite strongly held theological and other views? So I have found that working hard at building unity has been one of the most powerful and enriching experiences and I think that one of the key things is to approach one another with humility 
I am not always right. You are not always right. Our movements are not always right, but we are under one God. We believe in Jesus. Like we have certain truths with with which actually, if we believe those, there is something about us holding those firmly together and allowing the other, I think, less pertinent issues. Well, they're not less pertinent because actually, if you are someone who is battling those issues, they are key. But I think if we can hold the things that we hold together as truth, kind of the non-negotiables, then I think we can work together with one another to to lay the other key issues to the side and and handle our flock of young people or uh, the people that we work with in those issues well, but be open to learning from one another, be open to being challenged about why we may hold different views on things, but there's something so enriching and powerful when brothers dwell together in unity. There is a blessing. Yeah. And actually, when we say brothers and sisters, we're not just talking about one denomination. We're talking about the people of God. And I have found working with Youthscape in, in something we call Luton Unite with uh, people of faith, but from different denominations, one of the most powerful things. And I do feel like there is a blessing when the church can come together in unity with humility, so much more powerful, so much more impactful in our nation, in our, in our, in our town, in Luton that needs it, in the nation that needs it. How much more powerful if people of different denominations can stand together and, and bring truth but it does take humility. It takes, okay, so we're going to think differently on this topic. Can we have discussions about it? I think that's good. To discuss, to disagree is fine. I just think it shouldn't separate. It shouldn't mean that, you know, there shouldn't be that arrogance. I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. Let's learn. Very hard, especially for men. Let me just say that right now. Um, yeah, you talk about the sort of central issues and the and the other things that are very, very important. What we're not really saying is there's the sort of primary issues and secondary issues. Of course, theology is rich and it's all important. It's all important. But Jesus talks about faith that is simple enough for a child to grasp. So what I guess you're describing is like taking hold of that central thing of following the crucified Jesus and resurrected Jesus. And the simplicity of the of the gospel itself. That's the thing we all kind of have in common. Gather around. Yes. And then let's try and hold the other things lightly. A bit more lightly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Even something, I mean, sometimes people can be like, oh, they, their worship, it's too, it's too loud, it's too, you know, it's too out there. Or their worship, it's so quiet. Well, actually, those are things we can give or take, styles we can learn from other issues. But the reality is it's the truth that unites us and there is a blessing when we stand united and and i think there's there's just so much division around that there's so much when actually i think unity speaks more powerfully i love that um just quickly tell us a bit about luton unites you just mentioned youthscape sort of local work here in luton we have a project called luton unite which you've been quite involved in just just describe a bit of how that works yeah so we do uh Uh, two Fridays a month and one of them is where we just invite all our youth work we we have a time of uh, games we have a time of worship we have listened from the word we have some prayer we do fun stuff together and the young people just get to know one another some of no faith some from different denominations but I think there's something powerful in that Mm. Um, and there's um, a bit of 12 or 13 different churches there kids are at school together who didn't even know yeah oh you're Christian absolutely so I had one of my young people who had no Christian friends and he was like I'm not sure I want to come to this looting night he was in year eight after COVID came along met two friends who are now two of his best buddies at school as well as at looting Unite, and he loves it and and I think not only that I've got some really good friends on the Luton Unite team and they have taught me so much and they have widened my experience of worship of prayer um I've gone and visited their churches and it there's something about that so it's not just the young people who are being blessed it's the adults as well 
Our second night is more about discipleship. So we tend to follow the talk from the first night, but go deeper into it in a fun way, but really for the young people who are on that journey of wanting to know God more so than just coming for the fun and seeing all the other young people. One of the little objections I think I've seen in in church leaders say over the years is when you hold these sort of unity events, there's a fear that your young people might enjoy it too much and hop to the the church down the road. What do you say to that? Oh my, I do, I, <laughs> that I, I would I would like to have a word with those church leaders because actually the young people don't they they are ours but they're, they're, we hold them lightly. We want them to be growing. We want them to be blessed. If any of my young people said, oh, you know, I want to go to the church down the road, it might break my heart. But I would say, yeah, absolutely. Why? Because it's a church. Yeah, you're going somewhere. They're people who love yeah. God. I, yeah. You know, it, it's not about hoarding our young people and, and counting numbers. It's about seeing them grow and be powerful and impactful wherever they go. And so we want to release. And, and I would say if you are scared of your numbers going down, because young people are going to other churches, then you need to get before God because what is your heart in this? To see your young people going somewhere and meeting with God or to see your numbers increase. And I'm not, I want our numbers to increase, but I don't, I don't want to hold on tightly to what God's given. This is about his kingdom, which is bigger than one church. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little theme emerging in what you're saying about humility and self-analysis, self-reflection, looking at ourselves and thinking, Oh, actually, I might not have it all right. It might not, this might not be the answer to everything, may not live within my church and my experience, which is a kind of easy thing to say, but a hard thing to practice. So how do you, how do you develop, do you think? I guess my question is, how do you develop more humility? How do you develop a more teachable spirit? Teachability feels like a a really core character trait that is in short supply, particularly in a sort of polarized world that you're describing, where people are either at one extreme or the other on any issue. How do you become, um, I think we all would love to be, but it's painful. How do we become more teachable? It's... Thanks, Martin. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's just a just a key question of Christian discipleship, just thrown at you without yeah, any pre- really, preparation. Really key. Um, how do we become more teachable? How do we grow in humility? You know, one of the, the things that I think, I wonder if it's love. I wonder if when we love others, we want them to be more as well as us being more. But there's something in us that's when we love people, we are able to be open to them, sharing their their views, their thoughts, allowing them to speak into our lives. I think we've, I think we need to not, I think self-reflection is good and I do a lot of self-reflection, but I think we do need to take our eyes off ourselves as well and realize actually, this is not about Linda's ministry. It's not about Martin's ministry. It's about God through us for his people, for his church. And what we sow now has much bigger impact than we realize or even need to see. So I think, like, I just think back to that. And I, I, but with humility, think back to that article you wrote, you wouldn't have had a clue that you were writing something that would, on, on a very deep level, bring healing through the spirit to my soul. And you won't know the impact it's had because it released me to then minister to my young people, read it out. To, but but do you know what I mean? It's not about Martin's ministry. It's about God using you for his purposes, for his glory and for his kingdom. And when we get that, when I get, it's not about me. It's yeah. not about my ministry even though it is about me and it's how I serve well, it's about him. It's about his kingdom. Then actually there's a bit of us that's less of us, more of him. And and in that place, we want to see others growing and being fruitful. And it's not about numbers. It's not about how big a platform or even name we have, although I'm here on here with you. The reality is that's not what this is about. It's about us together bringing God's kingdom to our nation and wider because there is a need and that's our calling, not about. And I think as we grasp that more and more, we realize it's less and less about us, although it is about us and more and more about him. And it really is about him. 
I think that's a wonderful answer to an incredibly unkind and <laughs> uh, question I just threw at you. No, I know. Um, but, um, you know, that makes me think about sometimes when I'm feeling a little bit competitive, you know, or I'm feeling a little bit poked by, you know, somewhere I naturally I feel like a little bit like, oh, these people are doing similar things to what I'm doing. What What's interesting is exactly what you said. When you When you posture yourself to love and pray for those people. What can I do to bless them? How can I pray for them? You find yourself wanting good things for them. Yeah. And that does help, I think. That does help. I mean, it's not it's not easy at all. No. Because we are desperately short of humility, even on this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's a good start. It's a great start. And I and the thing is, we are all I think it's grabbing. We are all in this together. This is not one group doing God's work and everybody else. Actually, we're all in this together. So when you see people's lives changed and transformed and young people coming to know God, that's a victory for me. But I think we need to catch that. We're in the West. We're very much about individualism. We're very much about ourselves. But unity is we are a community. And when you see young people coming to know Jesus and growing and maturing in their faith, that's my victory. Mm. That's our victory together. And I think it's harder to catch that in the West because it is more about your platform yeah, and what, yeah, it's yeah. my ministry. It's me. It's a, and, yeah, and I'm not yeah. saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying we've got to catch this together. Your victory is our victory. Yeah, and that. there's something powerful in that. Um, gosh, that makes me think about how we so often get, we see faith through such an individualistic yeah. lens, uh, particularly in the West. Yes. And actually God talks not just to individual people, but he talks to peoples. Yes. He talks to a people. Yeah. Um, gosh, yes, we catch more of that. Last question. I promise it won't be a scary, <laughs> horrible one. Last question. Um, what do you think might start to happen if you can envision it? Um, you know, what might start to happen if um, we saw a greater level of genuine unity between the, the churches and the youth ministries in this country? If we saw churches across towns and cities really going all in together and loving one another rather than being kind of quietly, passively in competition, what do you think the fruit of that might be? Wow. Uh, that, wow. I think... I think we would have an impact on our nation and future generations in a way that we would just would be unbelievable. I think it's what the world is hungering for, true unity and love. And if the church could demonstrate that without being passive aggressive or, or you know, all about uh, what a powerful statement what a powerful statement to lay down your life, not just for your friends, but for those who are your enemies. I mean, that is the most powerful statement. And Jesus makes that, but we're not quite there. <laughs> we're not quite there, but imagine how it might impact. No, I, I just think it would have a, a phenomenal impact on, on young people. They want belonging. They want unity. They want together. They want you know, what is this? What is this? What? I just think there's something so powerful in it. Yeah, and there is a blessing in that. There is a blessing because we're, we're not in competition. We are together seeking the best for our nation. And that is, you know, if you prefer the Catholic, go, go to the Catholic church, be with Jesus, get to know him and be a light in, in the areas where you have influence. There's something so powerful. And I think we miss out on that when we seek just for our own yeah. benefit, just yeah. for our own. Wow. That's a vision that's got me excited. Linda, you're always amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for that interview, Martin. I did hear Linda mention an article yeah. that... that um, was quite life changing for her in yeah. terms of holding on to. Yeah, I didn't know that was faith. coming. No, uh, that was what was um, the what was the article? That was, that was pretty humbling. Um, so, funnily enough, so as you know, I used to be a sort of low rent Christian journalist, and I used to churn out articles um, for a website called Christian Today. I don't think the website, well, the website's still going, but I don't think the articles still exist. Um, but um, 
I wrote quite a few things, quite a few quite angry articles, really, in the run up to what I could see might be the election of Donald Trump. So across 2015 and 2016, um, I wrote quite a few things that were like, surely Christians aren't going to get behind this. Um, And then I think when it actually dawned that this is what had happened, I wrote a very scathing um piece and i wrote another article which was quite critical of uh bill johnson who's obviously was was or still is I the pastor, still is a pastor yeah. at bethel church who had come out in support of uh donald trump and so i i wrote quite a scathing kind of point by point response to his statement um and i got an awful lot of flack for it i mean it was you know i have a very um uh, a very good employer here at Youthscape, but certainly I was in trouble in a number of places for what I'd written and got quite a lot of criticism. And his son, who's a worship leader, wrote a sort of response article and, you know, all that happened. Um, but anyway, I wrote quite a lot of stuff about Donald Trump. And really, if I'm honest, what's interesting about the story that she shared is that I I wrote that out of a sort of righteous anger, slight immaturity, probably. Would I write those things now? I wouldn't <laughs> write them in the same way. I might express political anger Mm. but not in the same way that I did I think I thought I was being really clever um and actually upset quite a lot of people I had no idea that at the same time this was being read out to a youth group in Luton by somebody who'd actually felt seen and this is a really interesting example of how the Lord uses things in ways you'd never expect and things that don't deserve to be redeemed (laughs) like (laughs) an article that was a bit grumpy and you know I was being a bit of a wally um, you know, was used was used for his glory. So, I, yeah, encouraging. I mean, it's it's so encouraging, encouraging. and yes. a lovely kind of emblem of. I do is. remember your shouty articles. I we I used to be like each week, what's he written? Yeah, and who's hating him more? I can tell when I used you to love it because you do try and find opportunities to encourage me when uh-huh. I write a non-controversial article <laughs> or or even tweet. This one's about puppies and flowers. You'll it's go, oh, lovely. Martin, good good one. And then there's just lots that I know you've seen, but you just don't mention. <laughs> oh, you've tweeted. I love it. No, I love it. I think, and I do think, as we've matured in age, you have chosen your your lines carefully. I pick, I pick speak, my battles a bit better. Yeah, and I tr- and I trust that when I see something on social media, I think he's thought about that and he stands behind it, and I'm his mate. So, but stand but it's interesting because it. we're talking about unity here, mm. and the the final thing that um, the final challenge really that that Linda brought there was you know how transformative it would be if we really did love each other and present to the world a united church like what yes, a difference don't paper that would make. over the gaps that, yeah and that and that yes. would be that would be an incredible witness to the the world that's looking for community yes. and love like if we could just model it together where our differences and disagreements don't result in cancelling yeah um no i to- i do totally agree with you and i realize that sometimes when we say that it sounds like we're being the slightly pie in the sky well yeah ideologues but but surely when jesus prays for his people to be one he doesn't do it because it's easy yeah. because we naturally find it our default he prays that prayer because he realizes it's, it's the most contested ground in terms of our but I hold that intention with the fact that also sometimes, you know, people need a bit of defending and they need someone to jump in and say, this isn't right. Mm. And sometimes it's important to speak truth to the powerful corners of the church mm. and say, hang on, we've we've got to get our house in order here. You're out of order. And so it's just how you do that. How do you how do you both go for unity and fairness, justice, good dialogue, people being kind to each other, sometimes someone needing to step up and police yes. that. I don't know, definitely haven't got it sorted. Well, I guess what is helpful is church history, isn't it? There has never been a time in church history where Christians have not had to call out the plank in each other's eyes or the speck in their own eyes. So that should give us a lot of hope that this has always been our story, that we the church has never been united really around much, around much, even Jesus being the only way to God is contested in some spaces. So we don't need to be afraid that somehow disagreeing and 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 talking about this is going to destroy what God is doing. Jesus is building his church and he's always done it with a bunch of people that, that are really good at shouting at each other across the divide. I guess it's social media enables us to dehumanize and I think that's probably our area of it's this generation's battleground it's not that we disagree it's that we choose to dehumanize and we choose to other in a way that I'm sure we always have in history but it's easier to do now so that's probably on us as 
when you disagree, do it. Directly. And actually, I remember you once saying to me, don't, don't retweet someone else's thing and shame them. If you have something to say, say it to them, say it to them publicly, say it to them privately, but just make sure your, your habits and practices around this are really godly. Because even if we get the stuff wrong, if we've got the stuff wrong, but we've tried to do it in a way that is humanizing and godly, there's less damage, isn't there? It's a really interesting thing about social media. I saw an exchange on some platform. I can't remember. It was on, it was on Instagram, but I think it might've been grabbed from Twitter. And it was a, uh, a guy who said something sort of like abusive to a famous kind of boxer or wrestler. And the boxer or wrestler actually replied and said, you know, I'm going to beat yeah. you up. And he, said, and he said, would you really say that's my face? I'm and the guy said, yes. no, of course not. That's why I've done it on Twitter. Oh. You'd beat me up if we met in person. <laughs> and the wrestler guy went, fair enough. <laughs> I thought okay, nice. this is Dumb. a perfect Sorted. picture of, you know, we've got rules, haven't we, around this stuff. And, and basically, if we don't know each other, we can we can have a go and have a pop. Well, my my little kind of youth work scenario of that is this week there's three teenage girls in one of the youth groups that I run and they fall out with each other all the time, devastatingly. Um, they they find it very hard, like most people do, to actually look each other in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I forgive you. They will send each other and copy me in. They'll send, they'll send screenshots to me of these long, long apologies that they've probably screenshot from somewhere else. I'm yeah. not sure they write that well. Yeah. And I'll say to them, "Don't no, that's not an apology. Look her in the eyes and say, I'm sorry. Don't. So I think it's really interesting that social media also enables us to make these grand gestures of apology, send these amazing little gifts of puppies and cats crying and do everything apart from actually say to the person, my bad, will you be my mate again? You know, <laughs> so it's really interesting. I was like, put your phones down, girls, phones down, I'm going to lock them in a box. You're going to look at each other and say, I'm sorry. It's really, yeah, it's interesting. And that is hard. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? It's hard. So a good episode. And I think we've got some great things to go away. So Martin, as the credits roll in a minute and we listen to our wonderful unsung hero, I'm going to start listing all the things that you need to apologise for. My unsung hero is a lady called Becky, uh, who was my youth leader back in the day. And one of the things that I really appreciate um, now looking back is that I can see how she kind of gave up so much time and energy to invest into me. Um, I remember times where um, there was no other kind of kids around, no other people in the youth group that were able to go along to a particular thing, but she still made sure that um, she was there and she spent time with me and kind of chatted with me. And I don't even remember really what we did or the kind of content of those conversations, um, but I just remember feeling like she really was valuing me in those moments and she re was really kind of trying to care for me. Um, and so, yeah, I love, I love that. And it's really stuck with me even kind of all these years later. And it's something that I really want to try and do with any young person that I'm in contact with. And so that is why Becky is my unsung hero.